have your Bibles, you can make your way to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, it's found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 8. We're going to be continuing our series, going through his gospel, verse by verse, sometimes word by word, but, but not today. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever realized how much more things are scarier in the dark? Just think about it for a minute. Maybe you're sleeping in your bed, or you wake up in the middle of the night, ah, oh, and you know, it's a little blurry. In the corner of your room, you see an intruder, and, you, oh, you dread, and then you turn the light on, and you're like, oh, it's a pile of clothes, right? Or maybe you wake up to some noises outside, and they have to be intruders trying to break in, right? Because there could be nothing else, right? Is it just me? I don't know, sometimes. It, but things in the dark are scary. A few years ago, or I won't say that yet, but I've walked across this church field many, many times. And if you're wondering why, it's because I live right across it. That's why I'm not just randomly walking. I'll say this, at night I walk a little faster. Because I'm like, there's no way a squirrel makes that much noise in the bushes over there. There has to be something bigger that wants to eat me. Our minds, they play tricks on us. I will say this, darkness amplifies our fear. A few years ago, I'll say it now, a few years ago, I got a call from my dad. I was living at home. I was at Suffolk Community College. He calls me up. I'm playing video games. It's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. He says, hey, David, someone, the lady that lived upstairs in the church apartment, she called my dad and said, I think someone's in, in the church. So naturally, my dad calls me. I don't know why. He's at work. He can't make it. So he says, hey, David, just go to church. Check it out. It's probably nothing. I was like, well, what if it's probably not nothing? So I go to the church, right, and there's this older lady and her mom who's even older, and I walk in, and I have to put the brave face on. Meanwhile, I have a little pocket knife in my pocket where I'm like, if anybody gets at me, they're going to get it. I'm like, no, they probably won't. So I walk in, I said, hey, what's going on there? Oh, this light was on, and I heard a door open, I'm like, that's evidence that someone is here or was here. So, you know, I put the brave face on, I walk all around upstairs because... Basements are scary on their own, but dark at night too. Uh, everything upstairs is clear. I go and I walk downstairs. Now I have my pocket knife, because she doesn't see me. Now I have my pocket knife out. If, <laughs> if there were cameras, you, it, it would, you'd be laughing. I have my pocket knife, which is probably no sharper than a butter knife. And I'm going around room by room, and I'm just kind of like trying to tiptoe, because maybe if they don't hear me, I can get the jump on them. And even then, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm doing. I make it to the last room down the darkest hallway of the church. And trust me, I've walked this church many times. I know where things are. So I walk in the room like this. I peek in the door. It's a little room. I said, okay, it's all clear. And I turn around and behind the door is this. A four-foot teddy bear. And somehow it's not sitting. Somehow it has the strength. It's standing up behind the door. So I turn around and I go, uh, and, I'm, uh, and I'm like, wait, it's just a bear. I almost stabbed the teddy bear. Right? I tell the youth group kids that. They laugh at me all the time. But here's the thing. No one was here. What happened was someone came and they were finishing painting or something and they left and forgot to turn a light on. But regardless, I was scared. It's dark, it's nighttime, it's scary. Darkness amplifies our fear. 
I love survival shows, and they stress the importance of campfires. Not only do campfires provide warmth and light, but it also deters dangerous predators to coming near their camps. But also there's a mental side of fire and the light. Mentally, a campfire brings a, a sort of positive emotional well-being to the survivalist. You'll hear this a lot in survival shows. Right? I was really depressed and I was getting anxious and this and this, and I finally got the fire started and it gave me hope. Hope. So I'll say this, light brings us hope. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8, we'll pick up at verse 12, and we'll stop at verse 12, we'll talk a bit, and then we'll continue reading. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now I want you to remember, in case you haven't been here, or you didn't know, but this is during the Feast of Booth. That's the last day of the celebration. The Jewish people in Jerusalem are celebrating all that God has done for their nation. How He delivered them from slavery. How He fed them manna from heaven. How He split open the rock and what? Gave them water for their cattle, for their animals, and for the nation themselves to drink. And during this week-long feast, not only did they have the water ceremony, which Jesus made a, a pretty bold statement, we looked at that two weeks ago, as the priest is pouring the water over the altar, and their minds are thinking about what God has done for their ancestors years ago, Jesus makes a claim that says, come to me all who are thirsty, and I will give you, what? Waters of living water. Not only that, but it's now a different ceremony. There's a lamp lighting ceremony that happens during this feast. In the middle of their temple, not middle, at the, at the corners of their temple courtyard, there'd be uh, one in each corner, there'd be these massive, massive pillars and, and I guess the, the technical term is candelabra, if you know what that looks like. Like a, a big pillar, and there's a lot of little, little stems that come out here and there. And what happened was a priest, the younger priest, would climb up this ladder and light the oil within, and they would light these, these bright lights in the temple. And during that lighting, it was a remembrance of how God led them through the nation by a pillar of fire. That's why Keith was reading in Numbers and you, re you kept saying where the pillar was, where the clouds were, that's where they went. They were following God's direction. They were following God's light. Not only that, when they were escaping out of Egypt, it says that they were being led by a pillar of fire. So the Jews, their minds, as they're seeing the light, it was also believed that you could be anywhere in Jerusalem and it was as bright as day because the lights were that impressive. It reflected off of everything. And in that moment, their minds on God. They're worshiping God, Yahweh, how, they, how He provided for them. In that moment, Jesus makes this claim. He claims to be that light. The light. And make no mistake, by saying this statement, I am the light of the world, Jesus is both claiming to be God, He's claiming the name of Yahweh, and we talked about that last year, we went through the I am statements, but not only that, he's claiming to be the Savior of the world. And the first point, if you want to follow along in your notes, is this. Number one, I want to focus on the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope we have in Jesus. Here's the promise that Jesus continually gives us throughout John's Gospel. He offers to give us life. <clears throat> we just read, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but what? will have the light of life. In John chapter 1, John says, In Him, in Jesus, 
was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus says this in John 3.16, Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. In John 4, the water I will give, that's Jesus talking, the water I will give will become in Him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 5, so also the Son gives life to, all, to whom He will. I'm only halfway there. I hope you're realizing, what am, I, what am I repeating? What is John and Jesus repeating in John's Gospel here? Whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. But for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus claims in John 6, I am the bread of life. John 6, everyone that looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal Perfect. In John's Gospel, he focuses a lot on belief and believing, on light and on life. So far, Jesus has mentioned to be the life giver over and over and over again. It's not a surprise when he keeps saying it. And that's what Jesus has to offer us today. It's not just for the people who are hearing, but it's for us today. What does He have to offer me and you and all of us? Life. That's the continual promise He's making throughout John's Gospel. Everyone who believes, everyone who follows, will have life. Who believes in Jesus. In this one verse, we also see that Jesus claims to be the light of the world. He's making a truth claim. He's claiming that He is the true and the only light of the world. He's not a light. He's not a way. He's not someone that you, you know, should or, or maybe you, you know, could follow, but rather He is the light, the way, the only one we have to follow for life. Here's the truth. We live in a world that constantly, constantly offers other lights to follow. Other, other things to look at, other things to put our hope in, but ultimately it all fails in the end. Here's some examples. The world, and I'm generally saying the world, that means anyone besides Jesus Christ, the world says pursue money, pursue power, pursue sex, love, popularity, friendships, other religions and religious leaders all make different truth claims. Do this, do that, then you'll get life. Where Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the life. I am the way. I am the light. He's telling us that He's the exclusive, the exclusive only way, only true light that gives us light. Like I said, everything else will fail us. We can't take power with us when we die. We can't take money with us when we die. And those in and of themselves are not bad things. But when that becomes your ultimate goal and your ultimate hope, it's going to fail you. Where Jesus says, follow me. I will be your guide. I am the light of the world. Follow me. I will give you life. I will keep you from darkness. Throughout the New Testament and the Bible, there's a lot of darkness and light metaphors. You could have a whole sermon series on just these topics and what they mean. But listen to some that the Apostle Paul says about believers and unbelievers and light and darkness. Ready? In 2 Corinthians, he says this, Believers, those who believe in Jesus, those who follow Him, are in the light. 
He says the opposite. Unbelievers, those who reject Jesus, who don't follow Him, that don't believe in Him, are stumbling in darkness. In Colossians 1, it says that when we come to Christ, we've been transferred. We've been picked up and what? Transferred over from dark to light when we come to Christ. In Ephesians 5, it talks about light and dark again, that we were in darkness before coming to Jesus, believing in Him, and once we did, we are now in the light. And there's a ton of other verses. I just wanted to give you some. But here it is. Throughout the Bible, light often means God, goodness, salvation, right? Good. On the other side, darkness represents evil, chaos, anxiety, fear, sin, Satan. And Jesus' statement here is not just a call to believe in Him on some sort of intellectual level like, I believe. But it's a call to follow Him. To follow Him as our guide. To follow Him as our Lord and Savior as we navigate through our lives. Why? Because we live in the world. We live with darkness all around us. With promises from the other people. Promises from, from, from sin and temptation. Yet Jesus' call is to what? Follow me. Let Him be our guide as we navigate and walk through and we'll avoid stumbling in the darkness. The second point, we're going to continue to see rejection of Jesus. Further rejection of Jesus. For the past, I think, five Sundays, that's always been a second point of mine because that's, just the, that's, that's what's in the Bible. We continue to see Jesus will make a claim and not everybody's like this. Wow, that's good, yeah. Amen, I believe in that. No, there's division. And so much so that at the end of this dialogue, in a few weeks we're going to look, they're going to pick up stones to try to murder Jesus because he's claiming to be God. So there's going to be further rejection from Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 17. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and get this, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. As the religious leaders, the Pharisees, hear his statement, they hear his truth claim. What he just said is so shocking. In a sense, he's saying, you know that light that's remembering back and you're worshiping Yahweh? That's me. I am the light. I am Yahweh. I am God. Right? That statement, what is their response? Their response in 13, verse 13 says, your testimony is not true. Jesus, you're a liar. You're a fraud. They say, Jesus, just because you said something doesn't mean that it's true. And their, their next question is, where are your witnesses to back you up? Where are your witnesses? I thought of a silly example. 
And I didn't include it in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway because I feel like it's, it's, it's relevant. I love the show The Office. I don't know if you've seen it before. But in one episode, Michael Scott, who's the branch off, uh, manager, he goes to uh, one of the accounting members, Oscar, and says, here's my, here's my, my finances. I want to buy this. You know, can I afford it? And Oscar says, no, Michael, you're broke. I, I think you have to go and declare bankruptcy. You, you need to do that. And then the, later in the scene, Michael comes out of his office and on the top of the lungs, he shouts out, I declare bankruptcy! And then the, later, he says, just because you said something doesn't mean it's true. You actually have to go to the bank and do some paperwork. He said, I didn't say it. I declared bankruptcy. Right, and the joke was, you can't just say something and it means that it's true. And that's what the, fa- <clears throat> the Pharisees are saying to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, you're saying this, but who's backing you up? Where are your witnesses? Just because you said it doesn't mean it's true. Interestingly enough, this sounds familiar because we already went through this. Jesus answered the Pharisees with his witnesses in John chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can, but you don't have to. I'm not going to read from there. But Jesus says, if I want to, I can call on John the Baptist, who is the prophet who declared me as, as what? Messiah. I can call on my miracles, is what Jesus says. I can call on God my Father who sent me, and I come from Him. I can call on the Scriptures. Everything in the Torah, everything in the Law points to me. And then He says, I can can even point to Moses and call Moses as my witness. So again, they're saying, Jesus, where's your witness? And it seems as if they've forgotten what Jesus already told them. Also, Jesus could easily just call on His 12 disciples that are following Him. The Samaritan woman who we met at the well. And that whole town that came to, to faith in Christ. The lame man at the pool that he healed. A man that was paralyzed and, and laying lame his whole life was able to what? Walk? The official whose, uh, whose son was in Capernaum where Jesus spoke the words and he healed him. He could have called on any of these people. He had witnesses. Yet, how does he respond to these leaders? In verse 14, here's his response. Jesus answered, even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. What Jesus is saying is my knowledge, my testimony is true because it's based on first-hand knowledge and relationship and experience of heaven. I have come from the Father. I have come from heaven. Here we see a little bit of the relationship of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see it Father and Son here. In Colossians 1, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus can rightfully claim to be the light of the world. Can rightfully make these claims because He is God. That's John's starting argument as he writes his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He's God eternal. So the first response, Jesus says, I know where I came from. I came from heaven. I came from the heavenly realm. I am the creator, one outside of time. And I've entered into it. And I know where I'm going when I'm dying on the cross. And three, I'm going to send up to heaven. We also see the second response is Jesus claims again equality with God the Father. In verse 16, he talks about that his judgment is true. Because his judgment is in perfect harmony is in perfect relationship and will and agreement with the Father. There's unity. The Father bears witness to the truth of Jesus' claim because He sent them. That's verse 18. 
To know Jesus is to know God the Father. That's verse 19. Again, Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father because He's God. That's His argument. That's what He's saying to these Pharisees. And He said it before, if you reject Me, you reject the Father. And then we get to verse 20. Actually, it's just interesting. Right? Who, are, who are your witnesses, Jesus? Jesus says, Myself and My Father. Right? Those are His two witnesses. He, he answers back. And you get to verse 20. It says, These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple. And then here's this statement again, Yet no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. Over and over. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen in John's Gospel. The truth that Jesus is on a divine schedule that no one can thwart. That no one can spoil. His mission is the cross. And no one is going to stop him from that God-ordained appointment. And as I alluded to, at the end of this dialogue, which will go on for a few, a few weeks, maybe another week or two, we're going to see they're going to pick up stones to try to murder Jesus. And he just walks away. How, how does that happen? Other than being what? On God-divine schedule. Nothing stopping Jesus from the cross. And for us as Christians, that, that truth, right? Jesus is our source of truth. Jesus is our source of life. We have a relationship, as Steve said, we have a relationship with God the Father through the Son. That's what Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is talking about. That Jesus is our only mediator. That we don't have to go and offer up any sacrifices or spill any blood or do, do anything. But what? We come to the Father through Jesus, our Savior. To know Jesus is to know God. <clears throat> and lastly, it gets to our third point. Our third point. We have salvation in Jesus. Verse 21, we'll continue the dialogue. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Let me pause here for a moment. Jesus is talking about his coming death, which will be in about six months at the next feast, which will be Passover. He tells the crowd that he's going away. Where's he going? Heaven. And they will try to find him, but ultimately will fail, and it says they'll die in their sins because of their unbelief. Now this is a warning that all who do not know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior will die guilty in their sins and stand before God. They will not go to heaven, but rather hell. And that's what he's, that's what he's warning the crowd. And instead of heeding this warning, the crowd misses it completely. They miss the point and they make some sarcastic jab at Jesus. The Jews are so confident that they're going to heaven that, that the thought that they aren't doesn't even cross their mind. So when Jesus says He's going somewhere where they won't be able to find Him, they immediately think, well, we, we're going to heaven, so Jesus, so you're going to hell then, right? If you're not going to be in heaven. And the Jews also believe that those who killed themselves went to this blackest part of hell this deepest, most isolated, blackest part of hell. So in their minds, they're thinking, Jesus must be talking about that because no matter what, we'll never find him. 
This was a really sarcastic attack on Jesus. He's giving them a warning. Here's life. Here's how you get it. If you don't, this is what happens. And instead they say, well, what are you going to kill yourself and go to hell because we're going to heaven? We don't need you. Again, Jesus separates Himself from the Jewish people. He tells them they are from below. Meaning what? The, the realm of creation, earth. They are created while He's Creator. They're in this fallen world. But He's, <clears throat> he's from above. He's from the realm of heaven. He's Creator. They are of this world, but He is not of this world. Again, it points to Jesus' origin, which John talks about in the first verse of His Gospel as well. As Christians, right, all of us who believe in Jesus, we do remain in the world. It's not like we come to Christ and we believe and then God kind of plucks us up and says, like, hey, oh, now you go to heaven, that's great. No, we, we're here. We, we stay here until we die, until God calls us home. But we're not of this world. Jesus calls us out to follow Him. I love what Paul says. He uses this, this phrase, citizenship. In Philippians, Philippians, he says that our citizenship is in heaven. That we're kind of just passing through. This is not our home. This is not where we're spending eternity. If we are in Christ, if we believe that Jesus is God eternal, who went to the cross for our sin, three days later rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our citizenship is in heaven. That is our destination. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. So here's the encouragement. No matter how bad things get here on earth, we know that there is something far greater waiting for us when we die. No matter how dark it seems, Jesus is our light. Jesus is our Savior. This is a call for us as Christians to constantly to continually follow Jesus, our light, as we navigate through this dark world. There's so many Christians that go like this. <clears throat> or I'll say this, Christians, I say this. Jesus, I believe in you. And yet, what do they do? They, they walk away and they go on their own path and they, they, they go in the darkness or living in the world. Instead of following Jesus, the light of the world, they're what? They're making a statement, but their actions are not backing it up. They're not following Him. They're not surrendering to Him. That's why He has to be our Lord. Because why? He's our Master. Everything He says, everything in His Word, is our guide. Right? <clears throat> in our Constitution, I was reading it because we were doing a member's class, but in our doctrinal statement, it says that our core value, that we value the authority of Scripture. So what we read in here is the first defense or the first investigation when we have any question about what we believe or what the world says or this or that, that here is the ultimate authority for our life, for living. Again, as a Christian, we follow Jesus, our light. He'll protect us from the darkness. Doesn't mean at times sin will draw us away. Doesn't mean at times trials and, and, and bad things happen. Yes, they do. But instead of running away, and running in pursuit of the darkness, we, what? we turn back and we run to the cross. We remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's keep reading. There's a lot more I could say, but we'll keep reading. We've got a little ch chunk left. Verse 24. Je this is Jesus talking again. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? 
It's a good question, right? Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Just as I've been saying over and over and over, and you're not listening. Verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Let me say that again. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And as we conclude soon, in a few minutes, I'll, I'll land the plane. I want to focus on verse 24, just, just a few moments. Listen to what Jesus says. Again, I, we just read it. I told you, you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, unless you believe I am Yahweh, I am God, same words, then you will die in your sins. Here we see the truth of the gospel clearly here's the truth everyone in this world if they do not believe in jesus will die guilty in their sins that on judgment day they'll face just that judgment the wrath of god for how they've lived and rejection of god and his word in their sin constantly rebelling against god and here's the bad news this means there's nothing we can do on our own strength I make sure it's, it's stated clearly every week. If it was up to me, <laughs> I'm done for. There's nothing good I can bring before God and say, is this enough to please you? Is this, is this enough? What if I give you a really good gift? What if I do this? What if I donate enough money to charities? All right, those are good things, but that's not what saves us. The reason, right? this is the reason Jesus came to earth. It was to die on the cross for our sins. On the cross, He took on our judgment. He took on our wrath. He took on our sin. He made a way for us as a sinner to be reconciled before a holy and a perfect God. And here's the beauty and the hope that we have in the Gospel. All who put their faith in Jesus, who believe that He is God eternal, who came down to die for us, will be saved. That's the promise over and over from Jesus. He's come to give us life, not death. And here again we see the exclusivity of the Gospel. And what I mean by that is, yes, everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome to come to Jesus. Yet, there's only one way to be saved. One way to not die in your sin. To believe in Jesus. It's not other religions, it's not other things, it's not a a cosmic scale of of good deeds and bad deeds, of karma. It's to believe in Jesus. Jesus is our light of the world, the one who came in love, the one who gave up his life so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. And that's the good news of who Jesus is. So each week we've been looking at the overall theme, who is Jesus and why does it matter? Who is Jesus? Jesus is claiming to be God in human flesh. He's claiming to be the light of the world. He's claiming that if we come to Him, we'll have life. If we come to Him, we'll be out of darkness. 
And why does it matter? Because he's the only one who can make this offer. Because he's God. Let's pray. We have one more song planned, but my voice is not cooperating with me right now, so we're going to hold off on singing this last song. So I'll close our service off in prayer, and then after we're dismissed. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you that we don't have to live in constant fear of death, fear of unknown, fear of being alone. We thank you, Jesus, that your word is true, that we can trust it. That says all who come to you, all who are thirsty, are invited to come and partake and have a relationship with you, our God and our Savior. So Lord, I pray there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that they can confess their sin to you. That they can acknowledge that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus, you are that Savior. And I pray that as they make a profession or as they make this prayer, that they follow you. Lord, that you give them strength to to repent, to turn away from sin and to follow you. Lord, I pray there's anybody here that needed to hear this hope. Any believer here this morning that has fear of death, who has fear of, of, I don't know what happens, I pray, Lord, that you point them to your truth. You remind them that Jesus is their light. He's our light. That we could follow Him, follow Him as our guide, follow Him as our Lord, and remember that our citizenship is not here. We're only here temporarily, but our citizenship is in heaven. Lord, I pray for boldness, for courage as we leave here that we can go out and we can tell others the good news of Jesus. Not only that, I pray that we can live it out. We live out what we believe. Lord, I pray that in all we do, we always give you glory. We always worship you. And we always remember your love for us, that you came and died on that cross for me, for all of us here. And all who believe in you will be saved. We thank you for that promise. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.